Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger. Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 13 Ruth watched the night vision video feed as Helen and Ray both slept in separate pens. Each small cage was suspended above the floor. Each swayed ever so slightly as the human captives breathed deeply in their REM sleep. She smirked at the captain. Do you know why Kobe beef is so special? Who cares? he answered honestly. Don't be a tool. Take an interest. Ruth scolded. The captain looked at her with mocked concentration. Aside from being bred in a very unique region with environmental purity, the cows are fed a diet of beer and massaged with sake. They are free-roaming until a few weeks before they're slaughtered, where they're penned and confined. The beer thickens the blood and brings oxygen to the muscles. The massage and confinement helps the meat to marble, while the sake acts like a tenderizer. The captain gave a half-smile of gratitude for his enlightenment. Ruth pressed on. Considering my plans for our two guests, I feel as though they should be as tasty and tempting as possible. She paused. Put them in their rooms before the drugs wear off. Royal treatment even for the livestock, all in the name of the game of kings, the captain mused. Ruth nodded. Maybe the captain wasn't as blunt as he seemed. Ray was dreaming. He was snorkeling back home in the Tasman Sea. The water was warm and familiar. He swam through a school of brightly colored fish. He could feel their tails flicking against his forearms and through his hair. The sensation was exhilarating. He turned to look at them and contemplated another pass through the school when he noticed that they weren't fish at all. He reached out and picked one out of the swarm. They were money bundles, hundreds of them, with rubber bands in their middle. And he laughed. Elation took over. He was literally swimming in money. As the rays of glorious sunshine shone down through the azure blue water, a shadow loomed overhead. The shadow of a figure came into sight and turned towards him. Ray wasn't worried. He had plenty of money. He'd hand the diver a couple of fistfuls. After all, he was generous. As the diver approached, Ray could see it was a woman, a beautiful woman. If this was heaven, he should have died sooner, he told himself. The mermaid swam to him, her hair billowing and buoyant like swirls of grenadine and vodka. She smiled at him, reached out for him. Ray was swimming towards her, in spite of himself. She was beckoning him away from the swimming bundles. He could swim just a little farther to reach her. The money would not be too far, he told himself. Their hands touched, and she pulled him towards her effortlessly. He kissed her, and she returned his kiss. He took in her beauty like a work of art, reaching out to touch her again. His fingertips caressed her exposed breasts. 
To his disappointment, her expression changed. The mermaid cocked her head to one side. Her face contorted, her pupils dilated, and her teeth elongated. She ripped away his breathing mask. Ray screamed and gulped a large amount of seawater. He jerked his hand away from her as the last of his air bubbles escaped from his garbled scream. He swam hard, up towards the surface, but the swimming, flitting bundles of money wouldn't let him get to the surface. He was drowning. The mermaid grasped his foot and dragged him deeper into the depths. As his lungs began to fill with water, he felt those jagged teeth sink into his neck and tear away at his flesh. Eaten alive and with no one to hear him scream, Ray woke up from his watery grave of a dream with a jolt. His ocean was exchanged for laying in a lavish, albeit sweat-soaked bed. Lying next to him was Helen. She stared at him. From her wild-eyed expression, she too had been dreaming of something both wonderful and simultaneously terrible. The two lovers said nothing to one another for a long time, both wondering truly about reality. Both the water and the bed felt equally real to Ray, they were shaken from their silence by a knock at the door. Room service, came a polite voice. Helen and Ray looked to one another questioningly. Helen pulled back the covers and found herself dressed in a silk robe. At her bedside were a pair of matching slippers. Neither had she ever seen before. Wearing a stranger's robe and clothes, she answered the door. A young man pushed the cart into the room with silver-domed plates and glass pitchers of water and juice. A message for you, said the delivery man, and he handed Helen an envelope. He smiled at them both and promptly left the room. I would have tipped him if I had known where my pants were, Ray tried to joke. Do you have any idea what the hell's going on? Helen shook her head. She opened the envelope to find that she and Ray were scheduled for comp... She opened the envelope to find she and Ray were scheduled for a complimentary day at the spa. Neither could form the words to describe their dreams of bright lights and drinking a strange liquid tasting of beer, of confined spaces and complete darkness. It dawned on them collectively that they were starving. Without an exchange of any further conversation, they uncovered their breakfast and ate ravenously. Kevin held up a finger as if to tell Micah to be quiet. And listen. Here it is, said Riley. I wanted to read this at my dad's memorial, but Mom said it would be too hard on me. She said children don't read things at their father's funerals. Here, I want you to read it. Riley slid the book across the patio table as Robbie sat back in his chair sipping a beer. Rose cleared her throat and read aloud. There is a place where the sidewalk ends and before the street begins, and there the grass grows soft and white, and there the sun burns crimson bright, and there the moonbird rests from his flight to cool in the peppermint wind. Let us leave this place where the smoke blows black, and the dark street winds and bends, past the pits where the asphalt flowers grow. We shall walk with a walk that is measured and slow, and walk where the chalk-white arrows go, to the place where the sidewalk ends. Yes, we'll walk with a walk that is measured and slow, and we'll go where the chalk-white arrows go, for the children they mark and the children they know, 
the place where the sidewalk ends. Shel Silverstein. Rose could feel a lump in her throat, but she smiled at Riley anyways. Your dad would have loved that. I know you're worried about me playing the game, but I'm not a kid anymore. My dad is gone, and it feels like a part of me went with him. Riley started to cry for the first time since she had gotten the news that her father had died. I need to know that you guys trust me. I'm a good chess player, and I can beat him. Tears were streaming down her face, but her gaze pierced Robbie and Rose. I won't let anything happen to you, I promise. Robbie shook his head and leaned in across the table. Hang on there, young lady. You can't make that promise. Whatever happens, you just have to do your best. That's all any of us can do. Rose tried to add to the sentiment, but her tears turned into a fit of coughing. Robbie gripped her hand in support. Rose agrees with me, and Rose nodded. Kevin walked back into the house, motioning for Micah to follow. Do you see? Kevin whispered irate. There's no way she has any business playing that match. The burden is too great for a child, let alone one grieving over her dead father. Riley stepped into the kitchen to get her leftover ice cream and stopped. She dropped back when she heard the two men say her name. She listened intently. I didn't get all that from what she said. On the contrary, I think she needs this game to happen, and she needs the chance to get even, Micah argued. She's risking her life, Kevin raged. She doesn't even know what life is at her age. She knows she's facing it without a father. Yes, but she still has a mother. A mother, I might add, who needs her right now. Do you expect that poor woman to bury her ex-husband and her daughter in the same month? I expect you to have a little faith in a brilliant kid. You are a teacher, after all, Micah added. Riley returned to the garden. What's this, no ice cream? Robbie asked. Don't tell me you're watching your girlish figure, he teased. Someone must have eaten it already, she lied. But it's cool. I'm going to go study anyways. Good night. Let's hope she bloody well does study those past games of her father, Robbie said, sounding a bit doubtful for the first time. Or more will end than just the sidewalk. Rose, tired from coughing and the day, put her head on his shoulder, and Robbie absent-mindedly kissed her forehead. Kevin sat alone in Delta's reading chair, drinking a short, neat glass of bourbon. He spoke aloud in the lonely room. What have I gotten myself into? I will have blood on my hands for the rest of my life, and I can't stop that now. But how much blood, Delta? I could take Riley tonight. I, I could take, take her to her mother and send them someplace far away. And then I... Well, I could end this. I could find a way home to you. He heard himself and had to admit that he sounded desperate and unstable. He took a large sip from his glass. A light evening wind blew through the sheer lace curtains. A dull thud made Kevin jump, tearing him away from his self-destructive thoughts. He looked down to find a fallen book from the shelf had landed at his feet. Shockingly, the book opened and several pages turned to a specific passage. With shaking hands, Kevin read the page he was given. So did I really die? I just barely made it in this particular universe. 
But did I die in another equally real universe where this book never got written? Kevin continued on to the next page. If I'm in these two different places in two parallel universes, then one version of me will survive. And if you apply that same argument to all other ways I can die in the future, it seems there will always be at least some parallel universe where I never die. Since my consciousness exists only where I'm alive, does that mean that I'll subjectively feel immortal? Kevin looked to the cover. Our Mathematical Universe by Max Tegmark. Delta certainly had read this book and many like it to understand his world. And now she was preaching to the master. Kevin was humbled by her elegant understanding of a passion he had never thought her worthy of sharing with him. Riley may become immortal, but how am I to know that it's this reality, my reality? What if I'm the reason she dies? More blood on my hands, Delta, he argued. Another book fell to the floor. This time it was from across the room. Kevin stood from his chair and held the book open to the first page, as Delta, her spirit riding on the evening breeze, flipped the pages. A book of collaborative works by photographers from Detroit flipped its own pages until it settled on one particular image. In black and white, several preteens about Riley's age joined a few women, all of them wearing 1950s hairstyles and sitting on cars in their hooped skirts. Two girls held a sign. It read, Nothing Stops the Motor City. Strikingly, the girl on the left could have passed for Riley. Delta had made her point in her quiet yet convincing way. If it was Riley's destiny to become immortal, then Kevin owed it to her to play his part. The laws of theoretical mathematics and physics would see to the rest of her fate. If he refused to help, she would likely play the game without him. She was determined. And in that message, Kevin understood. It was better to protect and support Riley than to leave her to her own devices. Alone like her father had been alone. Kevin closed the book and looked out the window into the night. His own reflection stared back at him in the window. For a moment, he could see Delta in his eyes, and he suddenly missed her more than the day she had died. I would have given anything for this to be your reality, your parallel universe, where you became immortal, he said, unable to hold back the tears. Delta's eyes told him that she loved him. She was here, on her own, in her own way. She was always with him. Well, that would have to be enough, Kevin reminded himself. That would have to be enough. <laughs>